0: So officially, hello and welcome one and all to The Reset Show number 11. Yes, it's true, number 11. This is our first episode of the year 2021. And to help us get back in the groove, we have a very special guest in Sam Knowles, who is an author, psychologist, podcaster, storyteller, data sniffer, and insight expert, all around top human being. So, Sam, thank you. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. We'll we'll start the conversation in a moment. We're delighted to have you here. And thank Thanks to, of course, as always, to my co-hosts, Belinda Ganaway from Fathom XP and Katie Austin on production duties, and Emma Bridger from People Lab. I am Justin McCarran from Everyday Resilience for the record. Um, before I hand over to Emma let me also say thank you to our live studio audience who have joined us today for the recording uh, we have um a number of um our regular special guests we've got debbie it's lovely to see you and also i know we've been joined by um nadine roth uh, thanks for joining us nadine and uh, jacob guberg as well um we're very pleased to have you all forgive me if i don't name all of you by um by name but uh, we have a certain number of you have been invited to come and take part in the um show so we're delighted to have you thank you thank you um i am going to finally say of course the biggest thank you goes to you our dear viewers on youtube and listeners of the podcast this is why we do it we do it for you so thank you for viewing and listening and uh Partic- particular thanks from us for some of the lovely feedback we've been receiving so uh, we're back let's do this number 11 Emma Bridger I'm handing over to you
1: oh thank you Justin and um delighted to be back in 2021 with the first reset show of the year really excited about today's show loving the this idea of being a data sniffer i'm really interested to hear about that but I've got some great guests lined up already so um really happy to be back for those of you who are maybe new to the reset show um just a little bit of background as to why we do this thing um really this started out as a kind of a conversation and a chance to get together with like-minded people to sort of talk about this idea of how we can use the pandemic as an opportunity to to do some really groundbreaking, pioneering, exciting, fantastic things in the world of work to essentially make the world of work better for the people that we work with. That's kind of the synopsis of why we're here, what we're trying to do. And we're joined every show by brilliant guests who really inspire thinking and um you know get us to sort of view the world of work in a slightly different way and I'm really excited um by uh being joined today by Sam today's guest um and i have just say I've just bought his books I'm very excited by that so I'll hand over to B, who can introduce Sam and uh yeah give Sam some, some some airspace to tell us what what he's going to talk about today so over to you B.
2: Thank you, so yeah, just adding us to the third of our sort of introductions. delighted to have Sam here. Um, Sam and I were introduced to you, um, a mutual friend that um, I know through the IABC, I'm based purely on proximity, we live about 10 miles apart. So we've known each other for a few years, we've managed to do some work together um, in that time, which has been brilliant. Most recently we've done a, a really lovely programme all about discovering and articulating organisational purpose. And um, Since then, um. One thing you have to know about Sam—he makes absolutely the best coffee, as well, in the very best mugs. Um, and over some of that delicious coffee, we've been talking about empathy, <laughs> particularly about empathy as a route to insight. So I wanted to get Sam onto the show to explore if we could um, somehow cross this bridge. So Sam's background is—I'll uh, get him to tell you about it—is very much sort of marketing comms. That, that that sort of focus for for insight. But I'm interested in to see if today we can make build some bridges between those two worlds and think about actually, what does this world of data and insight storytelling bring to the world of people and culture? So I've got, I'm sort of coming at this from two two areas and hopefully we'll get to look at all those questions. So there's, there's always the organizational level sort of questions. You know, what is data and insight and how can we use the first to get to the latter? And what does that mean for people and culture? And then on a personal level as well what can we all do to be a little bit more insightful in our work and lives so if we're super clever um on time what gets to cover both of those areas um so fingers crossed. so sam i'm gonna ask you a really good question um easy question first which is is there anything we haven't said you about you that you would like to say and maybe that's answering this question what is a data sniffer (laughs) I'm not sure I
3: am a data sniffer actually. Um, I, don't, I don't. I mean, you could say all sorts of things, but you've welcomed me. You've been, you've been excited about my presence, about my book. I'm you know if if Zoom showed blushes, you know, uh, then there'd be plenty of blushes coming to you from from uh, Gray Lewis this afternoon. Um, a data sniffer. Well, um, Tim Harford, the long-time presenter of uh, Radio 4's More or Less um where they where they look at the stats behind the news god boy boy it was it was created more or less by um professor sir david spiegelhalter who will if he wasn't if you weren't familiar with him before the pandemic i think if anyone could be said to have had a good pandemic <laughs> is, david. um but uh, spiegelhalter was one of the people that created more or less tim harper's just written this book called how to make the world add up and he has 10 10 rules that Um, people looking at data should apply. The first one is if you have an emotional reaction to a data point, you should put your screen or tablet or book down, walk around the block and then ask yourself why you do. I think that's a good piece of advice. The second one is that you should really sniff the data. You know, is there something a bit rank? Is there something a uh, a bit off about this data? What can it be? And I don't necessarily mean from a technical, nor does he, from a technical perspective. You know, is this unexpected? If it's unexpected, then either it's telling us, either it's telling us something really important, or it's an outlier. Um, and we, one can easily get sucked down rabbit holes by outliers. So no, I don't think there's anything else to say.
2: Fantastic, thank you. So I'm going to ask you another easy one. Um, I'd like to know what is insight, and in your book, you talk about it being genuine insight is usually an expression or manifestation of empathy and on this show we're we're fascinated by empathy but i don't want to lead lead the winners so tell us what is insight so for me so i so i i i mean i've
3: lurked in the i don't know the hinterland of um of uh, marketing communications corporate communications brand communications for 32 this is my 32nd year 31 years Um, uh, and in that time uh, I increasingly became alienated by the way with which uh, the word insight was used Um, particularly as data became more and more prevalent and people started using data and information and casual casual observations in place of insight
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, I run a small three-person consultancy that is called insight agents and it was deliberately seven and a bit years ago Uh, I deliberately chose both the abstract word insight that I am about to define for you, I promise. um, But with the concrete verbal uh, noun of agents and agency, you know, getting your fingernails dirty to get to insight. I deliberately called it that because I've become so alienated with so many brands and so many um, agency people throwing the world around with gay abandon. For me, it's very, it's a very, it's not necessarily a simple thing and it's a, It's a sort of thinking about thinking metacognitive thing. And we'll come back to that. But insight for me is a profound and useful understanding of a person, an issue, a thing, um, Mm -hmm. a topic, a subject matter. Um, It's profound because it gives us, it answers the so what questions that we get from data. What does the data mean? but it's useful it has to be useful as well because it enables us to go on to do the now what what should we do as a result now clearly that's relevant in communication but it's relevant in well it's relevant in corporate and brand communication it's relevant in interpersonal communication it's relevant in leadership and followership it's relevant in uh, getting on with one's kids doing homework and homeschooling under lockdown i mean it's it's i think it i think if one can get to profound and useful understanding regularly, then uh, it's likely that one will have a more uh, impactful and calmer life. Love it. So oh, and, you, and then you asked about empathy, right? You wanted me to you wanted me to make the bridge to empathy. Uh, so, so I don't think they are the same thing. Um, uh, I think in the in the the insight book, I talk about it. Insight as empathy. They're definitely not one and the same thing. But the the quote that I always Uh, like to use is, maybe from an improbable source, um, Atticus Finch, the hero lawyer from To Kill a Mockingbird, um, who says to his daughter Scout, um, and since reading um, Laura Bates, I've taken to changing the gender of pronouns. I've been, uh, uh, with my, uh, my son's girlfriend's suggestion, I've read a couple of Laura Bates books, you know, the Everyday Sexism and uh, Girl Up. Uh, so I've taken to changing uh, antique um, pronouns. Um, so you never really, because he's talking to his daughter Atticus and he says his, but not in my version. He says to his daughter, you never really understand the person until you consider things from her point of view until you climb inside of her skin and walk around in it. Now, if you're in marketing communications or if you're in leadership development, if you're in a leadership position and you want somebody to do something else, um, not, you, not you want to tell them to do something, but, but you know, you're. know we're all, as, as the American writer Dan Pink says in his book, to sell is human. We are all in the moving business, the persuading business. Mm. Um, whether we're a leader, whether we're a brand, whether we're a politician, uh, I think I think perhaps um, our dear Home Secretary could have done with a few empathy lessons before her five o'clock broadcast uh, on Monday of this week. Perhaps, perhaps. Anyway, but unless you understand, unless you can see things from the perspective of somebody else, you cannot hope to be insightful. Insight, I think, is very much about understanding, getting in the mind, the mindset, the shoes of those you're looking to influence. That's why I think insight and empathy are connected.
2: And is that our first bridge then so if we remove you temporarily from your natural habitat of marketing and comms and think more about business strategy people and culture, is that the bridge? is that why insight matters I in, think so. in culture? I
3: think, yeah i think i I think I think absolutely that's that's why it matters because uh, and I think it's more than I think it's, I mean, I do think it's a kind of uh, uh, universal prescription for life. And by that, I'm not trying to say I've written, I've written or stumbled across something so unbelievably profound. But, you know, like all good insights, when they slap you in the face, they are, they are, they are bleeding obvious they are absolutely um surely somebody else has thought of this before oh oh no they they haven't really have they not oh well we we must be on to something you know um uh, uh language is this brilliant um kind of recursive infinitely possible um uh, uh, tool and said uh, devices. I reckon that sentence that I just stumbled through has never been said before on this planet. I hope not. <laughs> it wasn't very articulate. Um, but you know the work that Chomsky did um, around universal grammar, and also, and, but also around uh, around the brilliant recombinatorial nature of language that anything can be expressed. Uh, it just probably hasn't been already. I think the same is true with insight because not another definition, but another way of thinking about insight is that it's a combination of uh, old and old making something new. Mr. 80-20 rule, Vilfredo Pareto, the Italian philosopher, said that an idea is nothing more than a recombination of old elements. You just add old things together and you get something profoundly new and we're brilliant at doing that you know we are people say oh i'm not creative i'm not insightful i never have insights that's one of the human superpowers um, that we are brilliant at joining old and old together and making something new you know look at you know look at i, I heard the other day that two of the three vaccines that are now approved for use in the uk were developed uh, about a year ago um, almost without sight of you know on one of them on a computer model, um, uh, that's pretty, pretty, pretty impressive. You know, it needs to go through regulation and tests and the rest and the rest of it. But we're really, really good at, um, I think, at combining old and old and making new. I think one of the reasons that people struggle to get to insight is that they don't have a framework or a way of, uh, they don't, they don't have a, a way of thinking about thinking. You know, we have these. Brilliant supercomputers sitting between our, you know, the world's most powerful supercomputers sitting between our ears, and yet we don't really have a way of understanding how it works. You know, we we we've got some some ideas about plumbing and wiring, and we've got some ideas about modules, um, but this supercomputer that simultaneously does bottom-up and top-down processing simultaneously has. Um, big ideas and tiny elements of big ideas, we don't really have much way of looking inside it. Um, I am a believer in uh, the subconscious and the the massive power of the subconscious to help us do this recombinatorial thing. Um, Some people believe the mind is flat, indeed there's a book by a, a guy called Nick Chater called The Mind is Flat, who maintains that everything happens on the surface. I'm afraid I don't agree, and I, I'm afraid I don't think the evidence supports him. I think that our supercomputer is constantly adding bananas to helicopters and seeing if that makes something useful. But the, <laughs> kind of the, the conscious sphincter in our, in, our, in our mind is kind of holding those things in because they're not, they're not useful. But I think we're consciously doing that. We're co- constantly doing that. Um, I guess the trick is allowing a few more of those banana helicopters to come through.
2: Right, and we're going to come to that definitely. And I've got definitely got some questions around the framework and how you allow the brain to do that work. But I'm wondering whether um, I'll ask this question then I'll, and then we'll hand it over to I know Debbie's got a question in the chat, and if anybody else has got a question, do chuck it in. And obviously Justin Emma. Um, anybody else has got a question? Um so my question was um <laughs> I've forgotten why is why is insight so difficult to get to? Is
3: it because of this difficulty of thinking about thinking, or yeah, is it? Is. It, yeah. is. it is. It is. It is. You, 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 so uh, Daniel Kahneman, the Princeton psychologist, the author of that um, very difficult but but you know good and correct I think book, Thinking Fast and Slow, System One, System Two thinking. I'm sure you've talked about that on the, here before. Um, he's got I, I, here's a good quote from him. He says that uh, thinking is to humans as swimming is to cats. They can do it, but they prefer not to. So I think I, I think um, I think that I mean I, th- I think that's that is very true. We're we we're, we're not brilliant at being metacognitive. We're not. We can't. We we because we lack the um, Kahneman's opposite number at Harvard, um, Steve Pinker. Um, uh, he wrote this huge book. Actually, the whole thing that got me interested in psychology a long time ago really was this book, How the Mind Works. Oh, that's a good, that's a nice sounding book, I thought. I'll read that. And he says at the end of the first chapter, he says, you know, by the end of this book, I'll have shown you how the mind works. And then he concludes at the end of the chapter that we lack the cognitive architecture to be able to understand how the mind works. Oh, define metacognitive. Th- just thinking about thinking. Uh, there's a question there. Uh, um, just thinking about thinking. So the word meta. I love this. And, and and this is this is in one of the Emma. You'll get this in the footnotes of the book. You won't get this in the main bit of the book. Um, but I am giving you one of the footnotes. So. Um, the word "meta" means uh, means after in Greek. I was a classicist originally before becoming a psychologist. Um, Aristotle wrote uh, a book called *The Physics*, which was all about the body and uh, and so on. And then he wrote a book about stuff that wasn't necessarily manifested physically, but he wrote it afterwards, and it was called *The Metaphysics*. And ever since, um, uh, the word you know, it's just a it's just a, a just a preposition. It just means it just means thinking. Uh, yeah, metacognitive thinking about thinking.
2: Lovely, thank you, Justin.
0: Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, thank you for thinking. My goodness, um, Sam, what have you done? You've just like thrown a bomb and exploded my world. It's fantastic. Um, what a way, folks, to start twenty twenty one. And I'm, I'm watching. I'm watching some of my colleagues' faces as well, particularly, <laughs> particularly Perry's, has been a joy to watch. Um, I think if we just said. Hey Perry, should we just like hand over to you and you can just talk for the I think I think it would be that in itself I would like to see Perry and Sam um just Doing sparring back fun. and forth. That's another one for our dinner parties. Maybe we need we need that. Anyway, I'm I'm rambling. We have a question from Debbie and I know Nadine has already jumped in and offered some of her thoughts. Nadine can't uh, doesn't have access to audio, as I think you know today, so she will be communicating through the medium of the typed word in the chat. Um, but the question is a great one. Well, thanks for getting us started, uh, Debbie. So I'll just read it out for you, Sam, in case you haven't had a chance to look at it. So some leaders tend to be very data-driven. And when it comes to strategic decisions and running businesses, we all know leaders like that. But how can we help them understand and achieve empathy if this notion of standing in the shoes of uh, people is alien to them?
3: So that that is a that's a that's a brilliant question. Uh, Thank you, Debbie. Uh, I like that very much. Um, I I think that I mean, increasingly in the what are we in (coughs) an. democracy in when cfos it's usually the cfo or it's very often the cfo rather than the head of people who becomes the ceo right uh, and they have been schooled in the importance of making calm rational decisions and they they always need the data and the dashboard and yet another dashboard in order to be able to justify that uh they need to, they need to go back they need to know i think a little bit more about how we make decisions uh and i've and I mentioned Kahneman before um uh, I think you know, the work that he's done around cognitive heuristics and shortcuts, the shortcuts that we make uh, in our thinking, uh, which are often mistakes. Um, they're shortcuts and they serve us okay, but they they help us make mistakes. I think that his body of work, particularly with his longtime uh, collaborator Amos Tversky for, with whom he won the Nobel prize for economics um, uh, several years ago, um, I think what he's shown is that we make our decisions emotionally and we justify them rationally you know we think we use the uniquely human cerebral cortex that we only we have to make our decisions and the cerebral cortex is slow it takes seconds or quite a lot longer to to assess data to and that's where that's where data sits that's where data kind of filters through to or that's you know it's 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 it's, we, we, but, but, but that's not how we make decisions. We make decisions emotionally using the ancient reptilian limbic brain that we share with birds, reptiles and all of the mammals. Um, you know, our choice of car or perfume or, or, or garlic bread, is it going to be flat or is it going to be round with traditional slices? We make those decisions emotionally. And we just and, and we make those decisions about about business investment and strategy and so on we make those decisions emotionally and we justify them rationally now I think that that those leaders uh, who um, uh, Debbie's talking about in, in her questions about strategic decisions you know it's important to be seen to have weighed all the evidence but actually I think that you know they're they're, they're kidding themselves if they think that they're making their decisions um, rationally making their decisions rationally and that they really do need to realize that uh, emotional the the emotional component if not always dominant is much more important than they realize and that's why uh, I think that empathy is is or that's another reason why I think empathy is so important because that enables us to understand the motivations of others better if we can if we can do that and so I think those strategic decision makers should should I don't know get a bit more emotional
0: uh yeah thank you sam and what you won't have seen while you were talking is perry's contributed some thoughts in the chat perry over to you um, and carry on the discussion there
4: yes yeah, so and my reactions are unfiltered uh, so yeah you were right to comment on those um, Sam uh, I remember reading Malcolm Gladwell's Blink and mm-hmm. it was uh, you know a quiet revelation for me that there is a different way to make decisions other than data tables um, but since that book there's lots of people been saying oh, what does Gladwell know it's all a load of rubbish and blah 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 so I think he's he's sort of seen the scorn that was pour, uh, poured on people like Clayton Christensen with Disruptive Innovation and what have you um, so I just wondered where you sit really on, on what I think Gladwell was trying to say to us is that you know it isn't just a data table it is also these hunches and these feelings and these emotions are really valuable and can even challenge sometimes logic for good reason. Um, so yes, yeah, so I just kind of wondered where you are.
3: Are you nearer yeah. to the Gladwell side of, yes, you've yeah, got to yeah. look at Yeah, no, I know. I, 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 I absolutely am. But, I, but but it's because of, and I cannot remember because it's quite some time since I read it, but I, I have absolutely no doubt that he is referring, he will refer at least in part to some of the Kahneman and Tversky work. work. Um, I have absolutely no doubt that that, that, that is in there. I, I mean, I think I think Gladwell is 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 absolutely right. I mean, I, I think that I think that because we only process a tiny amount of the data and the stimulus that comes into us, and because we rely on some fairly faulty um, decision-making shortcuts. Um, we can make the wrong decisions. We can make the wrong decisions emotionally. I mean, you know, in terms of prejudice, in terms of, all, I mean, all sorts of things. Um, we can make the wrong decisions emotionally, but I do, but I do think that uh, despite that scorn that was poured, out, I mean, you know, he's. it's almost a question of don't kill the messenger. Um, mm. And I think I, I watched, I subscribed maybe like lots of people because they, they were doing a buy one, get one free, um, to masterclass um, at the very—I think almost the day, mon- Monday the twenty-seventh was it, or Monday the twenty-sixth of March last year, with a friend. So we, you know, we got it for half price, and 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 then I I binged a few of them, and then haven't really since. I must go back to it before my subscription runs out. Um, but there's a Gladwell one on storytelling now, uh, which is a good one. It is a good, it is a very good one. Um, the best one is Chris Voss on FBI hostage negotiation. That's and the use of ta- what he calls tactical empathy—that's well—that's I think the most interesting one i watched there. I'd, I'd read the book, but it, but it, but it's, it's dramatised brilliantly. Um, anyway, um, no Gladwell. It, it, on one level, he's not remotely original because he's 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 permanently a second a secondary source. What I think he's what, what, where I think he is original in this kind of Pareto um, explanation is that he takes something here and something here and brings them together. So when he's talking, I don't think this is in when he's in, it is in Blink, at the beginning of Blink, and I can't remember the name of the marriage guidance academic he talks about. I remember. Yeah, he's talking about this marriage guidance expert who, within five minutes of his first meeting with a couple, can tell if they're going to split up. And it's whether or not, with 95% confidence, whether or not one, one, particularly both, are using uh, language and expressions of contempt. Yeah. Um, and then there's the there's the story in blink there's the story of the the the, the kuros, the Greek sculptures yeah, exactly. that were fake or not. so so again when you get really good at doing something, when you do it a lot, when you do the ten thousand hours which again he's had lots of scorn poured on him for. but you know look at David Beckham. Mm-hmm. what did David Beckham do between the ages of six and and yeah. and well probably still today take free kick after free kick after free kick in the park. And you know he he was quite good at that. That's kinesthetic intelligence, but I think it's exactly the same. Um, but I think I, I think what he's good at is taking old and old and and, and creating something, and, and that something new is not necessarily new scientific advance, or but it, but it, it's it's bringing quite complicated ideas to millions. Yeah. Um, and he's done that since. I mean, he's been on the New Yorker since two thousand and six. It's still his job. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, I think, you know, sometimes when people when people stray into 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 territories where maybe there's a bit of previous that they're not aware of or that they could th- there seem to be riding roughshod over it. I thought it was slightly unfair, but I'm not I'm, I'm not I'm not his defender. Mm-hmm. And I am with him because I think he
0: is guided by the Kahneman work, I think. Right. Thank, you. Mm. Thank you both for that. Um- I've one more thing to say about this and and that is that Nadine actually popped an early reply or an early response, Debbie, you've probably seen that in the chat and it's great. It's great. It's a great piece of uh, advice because it's super practical and it applies to everything, which is actually put that into practice yourself. So get in their shoes and go, well, what works for them is data. Well, get them some data about the importance of empathy, isn't it? It's like, if that's the currency that that person values, then find a way to communicate that uh, in their in their currency. So I really like that um, advice, Nadine. That, that applies to so many, to kind of every conversation, isn't it? Really is, well, that's the secret. And that comes back to what you were talking about, Sam, about Dan Pink's work about us all being in the moving business. And he, he talks a lot about that in in that book to sell as human, that, that sense of, that's really the key if, if, if nothing else. Um, and in fact, I'm just reading Getting to Yes With Yourself by William Urey. And uh, I'm having another, one of those experiences that I'm sure we've all had of going, oh, this is great, this is, just, this is the same theory packaged up in a different format. And I don't mean that at all pejoratively. I mean that genuinely. This is the nuts and bolts of human beings um, and how we actually communicate and what works, but it's packaged up this time through the lens of negotiation, um, whereas it might be packaged up through all sorts of different lenses. So anyway, um, that's very um, current for me as well, this thinking of putting yourself in, in the other person's shoes. So, so thank you, Debbie, for the question. Thank you, Sam and Perry, for your input, and thank you, Nadine, for your response as well. Um, I'm sort of time master on this, so I'm gonna keep the ball rolling. and. Um, Uh, resist the temptation to carry on going down that particular strand of the conversation and shift over to Emma. I'm going to bring Emma in um, at this point to see where you'd like to take the conversation. Over to you, Emma. No pressure.
1: No pressure, no pressure. Um, Yeah, that that all really resonated and absolutely agree with you on the the, the kind of Gladwell stuff. it plays into something we talk a lot about on this show, which is, um, I'm an an ex-academic and I have a a real frustration and passion for trying to bring the world of academia close to the world of applied practical business because there's so much stuff that we know to be true that seems to just completely bypass the world of business. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting, you know, talking about, yes, absolutely, the c3 are and many others are very data driven of course they are we know they are but actually to your point sam you know the the emotional piece is the fact that there's still so many outdated practices that happen despite our best efforts that go look this doesn't work (laughs) and that's a real frustration there's a real paradox there so that's just a bit of a reflection from me for example i always quote the the industry the billion dollar industry of of comp and bends and reward bends and how the way employees often rewarded we know just doesn't work anyway that's a whole other research show um what I'm really interested in you know I, I kind of obviously done a bit of, bit of reading around you Sam and you know the, the book I've just just downloaded that I'm desperate to read you know is telling stories with data and that's really um I think that's really exciting mm. but I feel even as someone who's written books although they're not picture books um i love stories i, I we, we do a lot of work about strategic narrative i think it's quite difficult do you think it is and what tips can you give us to take data and make it interesting for people and tell a story with it so people take notice of it and, and use it and do something with it what ideas have you got for that
3: uh well you know once you get through the sequel you can read the prequel because uh, my good friend's Uh, at Routledge in 2018 published a book called narrative by numbers how to tell powerful and purposeful stories with data and guess what the central message of that is the central message of that is to be human and empathetic and understanding of your audience so to, to talk human um to uh to know your audience and you can use data to know and understand your audience to understand who you're talking to so if you are uh, the, the, I mean, the other hat, apart from insi- insightful thinking, I wear. Um, and Perry, it would be a Boston Red Sox rather than a New York Yankees hat. But there we are. Uh, the other hat I wear is as a data storyteller. If you if you pin me into the corner of a bar when we are allowed back into bars, I would say I'm a data. I, I am a data storyteller. Or I I, I help. Uh, organizations use data smarter to do two things. One is to tell better stories and two is to innovate and to get to insights that that, that you can unlock. Um, So talking human, finding and using relevant data i mean that is a that you know that's a, maybe that's a kind of a, a sort of circular statement of the obvious but finding and using genuinely relevant data i mean the example i always give is a and you i'm sure i can send, give you a link for the show notes if you want for the podcast um it's not hard to find is the british heart foundation i think it was 2011 12 campaign that vinnie jones fronted um and what they wanted to do was to show uh, the world to, to, to educate people without sending them on CPR courses, how they should be doing CPR. First of all, they shouldn't be trying to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation because that almost always fails. So you have Vinnie Jones, this former footballer turned East End villain in Guy Ritchie B movies um, uh, in a in a in a disused garage with some geezer who's just had a heart attack in front of you, and he says, "Don't you know? Don't kiss them on the lips. You only kiss your missus on the lips." It wasn't because he was being um, a Neanderthal sexist that he said that. He was saying that because. B.H.F. didn't want people to try and do mouth-to-mouth because it doesn't work. People don't know how to do it. They feel too repelled and so on and so on. Um, but, but But so it's such a memorable ad because it combines this East End Hood and, and his henchmen and a couple of Dobmans with the Bee Gees track Staying Alive because it just so happens the planners discovered that if you push 110 to 120 beats per minute the same as that bg's track that's what you need to do on the on the on heart you know it's a great bit of data storytelling they're finding and using truly relevant data i mean i think knowing your audience, tailoring tailoring the story for your audience, exactly as you say, Emma, it's vital, it's absolutely vital that you know who you're talking to. I mean, you know, it should be what, you know, whatever meeting you're having, whatever Zoom you're on, whatever conference you're addressing. If you're going into a primary school and it's bring your parents to, to, to work day, you're not going to give them uh, necessarily uh, an enormous Excel spreadsheet and, and talk them through the pivot tables. Probably not if you've got a meeting with the chief finance officer that may well be what they 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 want and, and they expect um, but so finding and using relevant data talking human um, the curse of knowledge so my i mentioned steve pinker before he wrote another really that i'm not about psychology really at all but but about uh, he wrote a book called the sense of style Uh, which is the academic's guide to to writing clearly. And Emma, you know, you didn't describe yourself as a recovering academic, but I could tell that word recovering was just beneath the surface. Um, Yeah, I've got the same myself. Um, uh, And um, the curse of knowledge is the the inability that many people have, particularly academics, government officials, financial advisors, um, uh, lawyers. I mean, really, you know, I'm not being rude about any of those groups um a scientist generally the difficulty of uh, imagining and this is a failure of empathy again it all comes back to empathy um the difficulty of imagining that the people that you're talking to don't know what you already know it's really hard to 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 do that and this isn't about dumbing down or, or making things simplistic it's about simplifying simplification is not a dirty word i think i, I think i think simplifying um so simplification is not a dirty word um but but you know dumbing down that is a bit of a dirty word but but if you can't put yourself in the mind of as so many academics cannot if you can't put yourself in the minds of um those that you're looking to teach to instruct to bring along to lead as a leader in an organization if you can't not remember what it was like not to know it, but imagine what it's like not to know it, then wow. you'll use too much data. You'll drown people in data. Um, market, I mean, I, I've got many of my many of my best friends are market researchers, many of my favorite clients are big market research companies. But how many times have you been in a market research debrief and you see slides one to 162? Because you're gonna get every single cross-tabulation they've done. And that's one, not empathetic, but two, people will start playing on their phones. It's a little bit disaster. So those would be a few of my hints and tips on being a, a better data storyteller. I hope that helps.
1: Yeah, thank you, Sam, that, that's really, that's great. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I just, just to say, uh, with the the staying alive thing i've got a 12 year old boy in the background who's actually doing it to staying alive so
0: uh.
1: <laughs> he has been acting it out and he's going that's great i remember that
3: but the, the, and, the, and the i mean the other the, i mean there are it's it's it is worth watching it partly because it's the juxtaposition of the two which makes it emotional which makes it memorable i mean there are two he's got these two henchmen they look like the mitchell brothers or dominic cummings and lee kane as i like to call them um he 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 look he looks he looks like they look like the but they're they're wearing you know horrible ill-fitting leather jackets and they start dancing away. They're having a fantastic time. Even the dogs nodding its head by the end of it. But the other thing about that in data storytelling, so you get that killer if you'll excuse me statistic. But the other one is he says push down on the sovereign because in every in his in his world everyone has a medallion. But push down. Um, five or six centimetres, that's about two inches in old money. He's talking to younger and older, you know. We live in this strange country where Blue Peter ran a debate when I was a kid. Shall we use metric or imperial? Oh, we'll use both.
0: (laughs) And uh, Sam, I posted the link to that uh, uh, YouTube. And also just, I don't want to get distracted, but I also posted a link to how not to do it, which is an article that you posted on LinkedIn. <laughs> so that's something for everyone to check out afterwards as well. A nightmare um, on Downing Street. Nightmare yeah. on Downing Street, classic. Um, I'm going to hand back over to Belinda to start to move us into the final furlong. I think uh, over to you, B.
2: Okay, thank you. Um, I'm going to try and squeeze this question into the last few minutes that we've got, which is it's a big question, so. Sam so, um, and you cover your step model brilliantly in the book so we won't have time to go into all of that but I'd love to pose this question to you what can we all do to be more insightful um what are some top tips of being more insightful as individuals in our in our lives that might be at work or at home or wherever.
3: Be curious be endemically curious um uh, not just about the brief that you're working on today not just about the insight problem and there's a big difference between insight and analytical problems but but you know one of them yields to work and the other one doesn't but so be be curious be absolutely curious because you never know when you're going to when your subconscious is going to do that brilliant thing of putting things together so definitely be curious read podcast listen to podcasts like this listen to uh, absorb stuff just be a sponge um uh but I think one of the, the, the kind of the palace revolution bit and the thing that I find that leaders find to be threatening is to, uh, t- to take time out uh, and to take time out away from the challenge of trying to, trying to get to insight. Now, the reason that I think that is really important uh, is because if you don't do that, and if you try and work and work and work away, then you're mistaking an insight problem for an for an analytical problem, and you're preventing your subconscious, I think, from doing that brilliant recombinatorial thing. Now. Taking time out can mean lots and lots of things to to people. It can mean working on another client's piece of work. It can mean doing your timesheets and expenses. It can mean coming on a on a lunchtime webinar or listening to a podcast. It can mean exercise particularly i mean i, I in marketing marketing communications the people that are more strategic and are required to find insights are known as planners and I know I don't know a planner who doesn't either run or or I think but are you Belinda you still sea swimming Belinda still still in the sea yes yeah, yes maybe. I am oh, yeah, yeah my <laughs> way too absolutely and it's only January and minus three <laughs> maybe two, are you a sea swimmer no it's not a sea swimmer um i thought they there was uh, another but no so t- so exercise is really really good uh, exercise uh, doing mundane things i mean so you know it's three of my favorite things in the world um are um uh, washing up mowing the lawn and ironing because they partly because they have a beginning no i really because they have a beginning middle and an end you know you they, how how often when we're doing things do we say oh you know we make little tick lists but it's only a little tiny bit of the project that we've ticked off um uh but also that because they're because they are because they you use procedural memory to do them because you know how to do them um then you do them and that allows you allows you to maybe get slightly closer and slightly closer to some of the combinations that are going on subconsciously but the timeout thing um in the in the in the insight book there's um I talked to people from all sorts of different worlds, um, be it uh, Peter Firth, the actor, and, and his partner, uh, Alexandra McKibben, who met on Letter to Brezhnev and had lives apart, but came back together. But actors, how do actors get inside the mind of others? I spoke to the the, the head of uh, performance at the Royal College of music. How do music. What is the insight to musicians, psychiatrists, psychologists? also spoke to Susan Greenfield, who used to run the Royal Institution, Baroness Susan Greenfield, um, who is a, well, she's doing pioneering work in Alzheimer's now, Alzheimer's therapies. But she opened my, my mind and my eyes to a school of um, psychology from the Netherlands, environmental psychology, that talks about the importance of getting somewhere big, getting outside and getting somewhere big. So when we get somewhere big, particularly a desert, the middle of the ocean or a mountain, but also, you know, the countryside or even a park, when we're not at a desk and I came across, I'll come back to John le Carré in a second, in my butterfly mind, um, uh, uh, but getting somewhere big effectively makes time slow down. The reason it effectively makes time slow down is because there are fewer competing stimuli for your attention. And therefore, it feels like time slowed down because you can process consciously and subconsciously um, more stimuli uh, in the same amount of time. So get somewhere big in your time out. The Lacare quote I came across today on LinkedIn. I love it. I hadn't heard it before, but it seems like everybody else has. Is that a desk is a dangerous place from which to view the world. And in a zoomed, locked down world. Um, uh, I think that I think that government spokespeople should just give that Le Carre quote every day, just to remind people how dangerous a desk is and how important it is. You know, to turn a to turn a as we've discussed before, Belinda, to turn a a workshop into a workshop.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Well, that seems. To have brought us to a momentary pause. And I'm going to take advantage of that momentary pause to start to wrap up. Emma and Belinda, have you anything further to say uh, or qu- further questions for Sam before I do the official wrap-up of this one and plug for the next one?
1: I, I just want to say a massive thank you, Sam. Really interested. Could <clears throat> listen to you for hours. Um, and we're, I'm only down the road in Hastings um, so it'd be great to kind of all get in a physical space when, when we're allowed and uh, carry on the conversations fascinating stuff so huge thank you for me Can
0: we you get on? great pleasure lovely thank you and um, any further reflections from our, our super guests Debbie Perry uh, Nadine and, and indeed I'm inviting Neil Andrea and Jacob to contribute as well at this stage if any of you would like to either pop a message in the chat or jump in and unmute yourselves. Perry, you're unmuted, over to you.
4: I am. So uh, I've often had, I wouldn't say an aversion, but I've been at war with data because it just doesn't interest me. Uh, however, art does. Uh, so I think what I've experienced today is that there is an art form to take from this, both in looking at the emotions and in also perhaps how you can use and influence people uh, to move them uh, with data. So thank you.
3: I, I want I, I must i must just tell you a quick st- a quick story there um uh, there is a group in the in the in the media and advertising world called the media research group and when these luxurious things were still allowed this was back in november 2018 um, i gave a keynote uh, for the media research group in bratislava and i had a morning slot it was lovely it was great it was a fantastic place to be uh, i had a morning slot and in the evening there's a guy who, who trains with uh, who does uh, data visualization training um for the guy a guy called Tobias Sturt and he's 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 very very good. I did the words, he did the pictures. His entire 45-minute keynote had one slide and that one slide was um, uh, Titian's painting of Uh, Theseus abandoning Ariadne on the island of Naxos, having killed the Minotaur. He was, you know, Theseus gets a really good press because he killed the Minotaur, but he also, he was really nasty to his girlfriend and abandoned (laughs) her on the island. But it was all about line and form and art, and it was all about data visualization just from that one picture about about cutting the screen about cutting a screen in half about the creation of infographics so uh, I I, thank thank you uh, Perry, very much for for that comment about this being an art and it's absolutely about humanity, I I could teach people about multivariate analysis of variance and t tests. Who wants to know about that nonsense? You know, I, I don't teach statistics at university anymore. What I think they, what, you know, I'm really about helping people to communicate with more impact. You know, I believe, I genuinely believe that analytics plus storytelling leads to greater influence, equals influence. Uh, and that um, often requires leaving your data at the door in the appendix, hinting at it, not do, not giving endless backstory. You know, you, when you're watching your favourite box set and they say oh by the way season four we've got a character that we should have introduced and it was all a dream I mean lost is the worst example of that in history but but you know Dallas you know all all of the backstory is so tedious and turgid and that's what it feels like when yet another chart comes up yet another statistic comes up intrigue people enough like a fly fisher person cast a line on the water intrigue say oh, I'm not sure I agree with that, tell me more. Then you can open up the data vault of your, that you've got to say, well, because this and this and this, but don't bore them because they will play Sudoku on their phone or Yahtzee.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. Um, Thank you for your response to Perry's provocation there. And thank you for your provocation, Perry. And finally, just from Jacob, uh, Jacob is new to the show. And I am very impressed. Jacob has just binge watched all of the previous 10 uh, episodes of The research Show and uh, is delighted to have been here for his first live recording. And would also like, Sam, quick thought, apart from your book, obviously, um, what would you recommend for your your top tips for further reading further watching further exploration katie just to let you know by the way while you're thinking about that katie's going to go back through the show and collate all of the references to this is going to take you some time katie to the many books and works of art and all of that that have been you've referred to throughout the show so um, Jacob, what you probably don't know yet is that you will get a post-show pack, including those resources and the access to the video. and the, um, But in the meantime, Sam, top tips for further exploration.
3: Well, you know, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm going to make I'm going to make Katie's job a little bit easier because because uh, I've got I've got a, I've got a, a a list for sure that that, that I that I can sh- that I can share. Most of which will will be included in that, just because they tend to be um they tend to be things that I, t- I talk about often. If you're interested, I mean, if you're interested in it depends if you. it depends if you're interested in, in in kind of data or insightful thinking um there are there there are i really recommend tim harford's book i really recommend david Spiegelhalter's book from last year the art of statistics it is technical i don't think it's going to be top of perry's christmas list next year um uh, <laughs> it is technical but it's, it's it's really 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 good um i mean you know you could do you could do uh if if, if if you want i was i mentioned i was originally a classicist um Aristotle wrote a very thin, very readable, particularly in translation, um, book called The Poetics, uh, which was about the three forms of art that there were in fourth century Athens, which were comedy, tragedy, and epic poetry. And that is where we get the three-act structure from. That is where we get the big the the thesis the, the antithesis and the synthesis as he called it where we get the inciting incident that people like Robert McKee the the story Hollywood script uh, writer strict talks about where we get the resolution but not the end you need to have a period of resolution that's where that it that's where that comes from but that's not just about writing a box set that's not just about you know um uh, writing a novel that's about making a compelling uh, business mm. case to have your team follow you into battle and, and 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 use this use this innovation that that you know story and story structure is something that we that we um intuitively respond to um this three-act structure uh, and talking of story and i mentioned uh, robert mckee robert mckee's book story um it's one of the, I mean, when he, I mean, he does the courses online, but three days, 11 hours listening to Robert McKee. That was one of them. That was, I think, the best training course I've ever been on. Uh, but his book, everything he says in his three day course is distilled in his book story. But not, am not being rude about Robert, not his book Storynomics that was written, uh, which is about applying story to business. Much better in the authentic where he knows stuff, which is in story. So there's a few.
0: Oh, marvelous. Thank you. Thank you. We've all been making notes there. And Jacob says, thank you, Um, folks. What, what, what an absolutely rip roaring start to 2021. Thank you, Sam. Insight, inspiration, um, humor, comedy. uh, Fantastic. Lots and lots and lots for us to um, put in our pot and um, stick it on the stove. I I don't know where I'm going with that metaphor, um, so I'm going to abandon this and go clearly to a plug for the next show, which I don't, if you've watched this one, you hardly need convincing, but just so you know, uh, January the 27th, planning and people expert, Adam Gibson will be joining us. So we look forward to seeing you then. In the meantime, thank you once again to Sam Knowles, our special studio guest, Thank you to our special audience members. Thank you to my co-hosts and thank you all for watching and listening. It's been wonderful. I'm excited. We'll see you next time. Take care, bye for now.